Hello, hello, hello. You're listening to CITR. This is Rocket from Russia, and this is Cultural Abuse. Hello, hello, you're listening to the radio station CITR. Uh, this is the radio station uh, located in British Columbia, Canada, uh, Vancouver to be specific, and this is a weekly punk rock radio, which is usually called Rocket from Russia. Uh, my name is, by passport, is entitled Russian Tim, and welcome to this episode, my friends. I'm very, very excited because I prepared something uh, special and exciting for you today. I started off the show with a track by uh, a band called Culture Abuse. The name of the song was Peace on Earth. And the reason I played it, because uh, that was a request from one of the guests of today's episode. Uh, a couple of months ago, when the Flatliners played two nights at the Cobalt, I sat down with Chris Cresswell of the Flatliners and uh, Stu Ross of the Youth Decay Comeback Kid, Living the Lions and Misery Signals, and we talked about the touring. Uh, this is how it came about. Uh, last time, Stu was here in studio at CITR for an interview. Uh, he told me a couple of uh, pretty crazy tour stories off-air, and uh, we agreed that the next time the Flatliners will be in town, we will sit down and we will do a whole interview all about touring. Uh, crazy stories, different aspects of touring, and so here we are. Uh, when the Flatliners played in Vancouver, we sat down and uh, we chatted over an hour, and obviously, um, you know, the whole conversation didn't make it to this episode. I just picked the best um, parts of this conversation. I'll post the whole thing later on the blog. Uh, but like I said, I picked all the in my opinion, the key moments of our hour-long conversation and structured the episode like this. In the first part, we talked about how touring works for the Flatliners. Then the guys told a couple of uh, pretty funny stories uh, about uh, which happened to them during uh, touring. And then in the end, we talked uh, on a pretty serious note how touring affects home life and family life um, in general. So my goal when I 
built this episode uh, from that hour-long conversation just to show highs and lows, the advantages and disadvantages of touring. Um, the segments of this show will be slightly, oh, sorry, the segments of this interview will be slightly longer than usual. Usually I try to stick around five, six minutes of talking because I assume you listeners might lose the interest when there's a lot of talking. But this one is a little bit different because uh, it was pretty much three of us chatting about tours, well, mostly Chris and Stu chatted, and my job was to steer and capture the conversation. But just to paint you the picture, uh, we sat down on the back benches at the Cobalt, we had a couple of beers, and we chatted about touring. So it does, doesn't really feel like an interview, it's more like, more like a conversation, which we had, and I just kind of recorded it. Uh, so I just wanted to capture that feel, and I even there will be some swear words, so if you are planning to be offended by those words, please don't listen to this episode, don't listen to uh, this... Uh, interview this is like an official contest warning but yeah the, the reason i kept those swear words just to you know to for the you listeners to you know to give the feel of the conversation that it wasn't like an interview it wasn't like an official it was just like a slightly loose conversation about touring all right my friends let's start um, i think i kind of set the rules uh, for for this episode hopefully you'll enjoy it um i really did enjoy it i think it was a very, i think it turned out very very interesting so let's do it this is the first part of my conversation with chris Craswell of the flightliners and Stu ross of U2K, misery signals comeback kid and live with lions and in the first part we talked about how touring changed over years for the flatliners let's do it this is part one of my conversation with chris and Stu. you listening to rocket from russia chris and Stu. Welcome to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and thank you so much for finding time to talk about this exciting topic. Wow. <laughs> it's great to be here. Thank you very much. Welcome. Chris, uh, when I talk about life in punk rock and making it in punk rock, whatever that means, I always uh, say that in today's circumstances that uh, of music industry, touring has a very, very massive part. I always use the Flatliners as an example. I saw you guys the first time on September 22nd, 2007, opening... Where you got this shirt. Exactly. Yeah. How do you know? It's in pretty good Good shape. memory. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we opened for Toasters, and then um, you, at that time, it was an early show, you played for 20 minutes, but every time, for, sorry, for 20 people, but every time you came back to Vancouver, you played a show for a slightly bigger crowd, and last year you headlined the rickshaw, and I think how many, 500 people were there, something like that. So... I haven't missed a single Flightliner show in Vancouver since 2007, so I witnessed your success and how your hard work paid off. Could you please talk a little bit about how did the touring change over the years for the Flightliners? Because you used to leave your work at Black's Photography to go on <laughs> tour, and now you go on tour to go to work. This is true. I kind of got like fired, not fired from Black's as well. Like I remember like being on tour and I would basically call them when I was going to be home in one month to be like, hey, like my, my manager's name is Olindo. And I was like, Olindo, I'm going to be home in one month. Put me on the schedule, bro. And he would always say, sure, man, cool. And there was one time where he just never took my call. It was super weird. <laughs> was it the end of the yeah. story? Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I never went back. So I never got fired. But, like, I never heard the words, you're fired. Uh, but I never went back. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I think that, like, things have changed for us in a cool way because we realized at a certain point we were brought under, the, like, the proverbial wing of so many great bands. Uh -huh. uh, whether it was, like, uh, just, like, touring East Coast, touring Canada, touring the States, anywhere. You know what I mean? 
and also people that were putting out our records when we were like 17 years old and all this kind of shit. That was crazy. Like people took a huge risk on our band when we were kids, when we were first starting. And it was something we never forgot. And then I think at a, eventually there was some turning point in all of us where we started to look to our touring as like we could dictate what we wanted to do. And that was a good feeling. But you have to work more for it. You know what I mean? Like the responsibility is really off your back when you're supporting a band. You know what I mean? It's like you your sole responsibility is to show up and play the best fucking show you've ever played. That is still the thing when you're the headlining band, but there's there's more to it. It's more pressure because it's like it's your show and it's you feel responsible for the number of people in the room kind of thing. And it's uh, I don't know. But we, we started to realize like what we wanted to do is dictate like how our band was perceived. The kinds of bands that we wanted to bring out would also help that perception and grow the fan base and show that like, you know, like we like like we like slates. You know, we like Youth Decay, we like Together Pangea, we like this band, this band, this band. They're all different, you know what I mean? And it should be more of an inclusive thing than an exclusive thing. Um, and that's really what it, in essence, has been for us the whole time. We've just, I think, gotten equal parts lucky and have worked hard, where we're never really trying to close a door. We're trying to open more all the time, you know what I mean? And like, we would tour with any kind of band. If Leftover Crack knocked on our door now, we'd be like, that would be awesome. Yeah, for sure, you know what I mean? Like, I only bring that up because, you know, like, when you, you said the first time you saw us with the toasters, you know, that was in the ska punk era of the Flatliners. <laughs> that era does exist whenever we play a ska punk song in our set, though. Yes, that's the era we're currently yeah. in. So I, yeah, I, don't know like if that, I don't know if that properly answers your question, but we we were we we had so many great bands help us out that eventually we were we started to be able to help out other bands and we just kind of realized that we were getting to that point because we were always on tour and now it doesn't feel like a job and we all still have jobs when we're home too that's the thing um, <laughs> let that be known um, but it uh, it just I don't know man it, it feels good to be able to help people the way we were helped you know yeah Cool, cool. Uh, could you please talk a little bit about your touring cycle? Is there a standard of how much do you tour Canada, States, Europe per year? Is there a specific frequency of uh, when you come back uh, to the same areas to play shows? Um, there's, there is like a loose method to our madness, so to speak, but it, it is pretty loose. I mean, but like, okay, our mentality back in the day, when we first started touring, was like when we're on stage in austin texas or chicago or vancouver or anywhere we want to know when we're going to be back so we were always like looking ahead to the next thing so when we're, when we're on stage in that city we can say hey we're going to be back here at this date at this venue with this band and now more and more all the time we try to scale it back and stretch it out um because we started to realize at a certain point i think it was a tour we were doing in, across canada with against me mm-hmm. <laughs> we had people come up to us like almost every single night on this cross Canada tour being like, missed you last time, buddy, but I fucking knew you'd be back like two months from then. So whatever. I came tonight and we're like, oh shit. Like we did it too much. <laughs> we went a little too far into the whole like fucking we're here again. So we started to scale it back and we still don't, we haven't really succeeded in that fully. I think the one place we've succeeded in scaling back huge is our hometown. Like we haven't played a show in Toronto since last May. And I have no idea when we're going to play Toronto again. Like, we will at some point this year, maybe, but I don't know. I, we just want to go everywhere else. You know what I mean? And, like, we love playing at home, but, like, we're not home that often. You know? You have to be home to play at home. So. Since last show in uh, Ontario, you in Toronto, you played three shows in Vancouver. Yeah. No. Is that true? Yeah. Today, two, two nights. Oh, right. Today, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, at the Rex Shit. 
We just and I really don't know how to like properly describe or fully describe like why we started doing that. We just started to realize like like more than anything, we we're just kind of like maybe maybe we maybe we're around too much now, you know. So we wanted to we didn't want people to be like, wow, they're coming to town, but I can't make it. They're gonna come back soon anyways. So we wanted people to like make sure they could be at that show because maybe that's the only show that year. I think it's a natural thing for a band to do. Eventually, you just start to scale it back, you know, because there's more places to go. Yeah, that's yeah. The, the thing with touring too is like each time you're in this town, it's it's technically supposed to be the special event. So you want to like translate that same feeling when you're at home. You don't want to like overplay your hometown and like you know sort of remove whatever mystique that does exist i mean you know people coming into the the restaurants that we work at and they're probably like oh fuck this oh, guy oh, yeah. seriously yeah like people people in toronto that come to sneaky d's <laughs> oh my god totally but why do you work here you're in a punk band dude. you just answered your own question didn't you? i don't even work there that often anymore but those guys rule man they've worked there for like five years just on and off like month by month, I'm just like I'm home these days. I'll work if you want me to. And they're like, sure, <laughs> or no, you can't. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But they still take my call, man. Not that. Not Black's like Black's photography, like man. Or, Orlando. Not like Olindo. Olindo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would like to finish the first part of the interview with a song. My favorite track on Dead Language is Cats Kiss Fool. The song came out as a single, so did songs like Monumental, County Bruises, Birds of Angle, Eulogy. Uh, all those songs are similar, super catchy mid-tempo punk hits. Did you master how to write those mid-tempo punk, punk super hits? Or do you just pick those songs as singles because they have potentially bigger appeal to a larger group of people, even outside of punk rock? Wow. Um, the Cats Kiss Fool thing is pretty funny because... None of us wanted that song on Dead Language. Are you crazy? None of us wanted to put that song on that record. What the hell? That's the best song in the album. I, I mean, I love it now, but no, we all hated it. Well, we didn't hate it, but I think what happened was we wrote 20, we wrote and recorded 20 songs for that record. Um, and it was, it's a, it's a, it was a darker record in some respects, uh, and that is such a bright. Even though that song is about like basically like hating your friends or like fa fair weather friends, really is what it's about, and how that's just no one has time for that. No one should have time for that. You know what I mean? Like I'm not an old man. I feel like I'm older than I am. Like I've, in in road years, I'm probably older than 28 years old. But you know, it's just I don't have fucking time for fair weather bullshit, and you see it a lot being in a band. You know what I mean? Whatever. But I. That's essentially what the song is about. So the subject matter fit in with the record, but the aesthetic and the the glossy brightness of that song, I think we were all just kind of, in comparison to the rest of the record, we were bored by it. You know what I mean? So yeah, we didn't want to put that song on. Like the four of us were like, no way. Like no, like it's always so hard to decide what songs will be on the record and what songs won't be. But that was number one right away. The four of us were like, well, Castle Soul is not on the record. That's a P side, big time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then Fat and New Damers were all like, you guys are fucking idiots if you don't put this song on the record. And we wanted it to be the first song everyone hears from the record. We're like, oh my God, really? And it wasn't like, it didn't take that long for them to convince us, you know what I mean? Like, because they know what they're doing. But yeah, we all didn't want to do it. And then, you know, the more we played it live and shit, and we saw people wig out over it, it felt obviously fucking fantastic. And I love playing that song now, man. I do. Like, it just, it's so weird how, like, where it came from. Where, and you know where it almost went and where it ended up.
Hello, hello, you're listening to the radio station CITR, and this is weekly punk rock radio show called Rocket from Russia, and today we're talking about touring, and my uh, guests and the interview companions uh, uh, were uh, Chris Cresswell from the Flatliners, and we just heard the Flatliners, the song called Caskets Full, and Stu Ross of the um, Living of Lions, You've Decay, Combat Kid, and Misery Signals. Uh, obviously, if you're a regular listener of the show, you probably know that my favorite band of all time is No Facts, and I obviously didn't miss an opportunity to ask Chris about touring the uh, no facts and how that all looks behind the stage. So let's do it. This is part two of my conversation with Chris and Stu where they talked about uh, touring and beating around no facts. They listen to Rocket from Russia. Said like that at the beginning, a few bands took you under your wing. This is my selfish question. My favorite band of all time is No Facts. You had a chance to, you know, tour obviously with them. Is there some story that comes to mind? Something crazy, funny, interesting you saw, witnessed uh, while on tour with uh, my favorite band of all time? Oh my God, there have been a Where lot of things. <laughs> I know. How much fucking time you have, man? Um, well, one funny thing, since Stu is here, you and I met in Japan. At Punk Spring Festival in Tokyo, 2009, and we were there with No Effects. So Misery Signals played, Flatliners played, No Effects played, The Hives played, Bad Religion, Bad Religion, Some 41 headlined. 
the whole yeah. thing. Wow. The poster's in our jam space. Yeah, we have it too. So that's where Stu and I met. And I remember that night I introduced him. We were watching the hot and I introduced Stu to Melvin. And he was freaking out. I didn't know Stu, but he was like, oh my god, this is awesome. And I was like, I know, because I was just as excited. Because it was still all brand new. I got I you know, I met those dudes like a year before that, and it was still just like you're like a fucking movie star. Like every time I looked at these guys, you know? And then you introduced me to one of the hives after and I was like, this is so awesome. <laughs> the, the, the crazy thing about that too, like, and still to this day, we were talking about it last night. Um because most of the bands that I've played in were like, you know, metal or hardcore bands. Um, but I mean, since, you know, when I got into music, it was punk and it's been like fat and epitaph and all that stuff, you know, since I was 13 years old, you know, Green Day, No Effects, Lagwagon, Strung Out, Rancid, you know, all those bands are the bands that I love. And it's funny because I had never met the Flatliners, but I had their record. And I had this mental image of what this band looked like, you know? Like, to me, I thought Chris would be like this big, burly, bald man. Uh, like really, like kind of like fat and like, like just you give know? it time. Yeah, and just, just like give just, it time. I thought they were like going to be like these old like shitty Ontario like punk dudes. <laughs> so we get to this festival and I think we were sharing a dressing room. I think that's I how think it we, I think might that's have how we met. Yeah, like we were just in there together. Anyway, so we're talking to I was talking to Scott and and Chris and I remember Scott had his he has the Flatliners logo that's on your shirt tattooed somewhere and for some yeah. reason I was like, oh, is that a full blast tattoo? And he's like, yeah, yeah. no, <laughs> Flatliners tattoo. Anyway. But so we hit it off and I like chatting with these dudes. I'm like, wow, flatlands are so cool. And but I guess the point of where I was going with this is so you know, I've always like punk rock and skate punk is like my favorite stuff, you know? Um, but because of the bands that I've been in, I never get the, the opportunity to tour with like these super like bands that I hold up super high. But Flatliners, you know, when we're in Japan, they're on tour with No Effects and Bad Religion. I'm like, you motherfucker, how are you on tour with No Effects and Bad Religion? This is insane. You're like 21 or something. I think we were. You're going to like S and M clubs with Fat Mike and doing like weird shit. And I'm like, dude, this is the craziest shit in it. But so yeah, that that night was insane because it was like you know got to meet these dudes hung out he introduced me to melvin melvin was like drinking some like pill cocktail or something it like, was something crazy yeah, yeah. but yeah. i was just we like, were like what's in there because it was like pink and we were like joking it was like pepto bismol he's like well kind of and then he started like telling us the drugs that was in his drink we're like oh my god man this sucked <laughs> i never want this to end yeah and no effects also did something insane that night where they just did like some like kind of like racist song for like the, the end of the set they just kept on like oh everybody is racist maybe oh they, like the avenue q thing yeah, yeah, yeah. i don't know ah, that might make yeah that, yeah that might have been it because they were doing that a lot around then In there's then. every yeah and like Rugly had uh, Rugly had this whole motif their their guitar tech and it was it was yeah I, I can't even go into it it was pretty dicey but it was like it was from Av that musical Avenue Q with the puppets and shit sure I don't know everybody's I everyone's a little like, bit racist what that's the what the song was called everybody's yeah a everyone's a little bit racist and they would just like dance and smile and sing along on stage them and their whole crew at the end of the show yeah, the yeah. Other I got on stage a couple times for that when we toured them <laughs> just drunk just like 22 just hey. <laughs> yeah I don't know the words of this song but I love no effects well, yeah. I think that's funny about that too is so that was 2009 so fuck I think it was 1999 I have a picture of myself with Fat Mike and then I have a picture from that festival with Fat Mike and it was like right when they got off stage and I was like no I'm getting a picture of them fuck this and he was so fucked I was like hey man get a picture he's like yeah sure and I got this weird, like cool ass picture but then like recently I was like like so 2019 I gotta track them down and get a picture. <laughs> I like, you know, and one day I'll have them framed above my toilet or something. It'll be cool. <laughs> anyway, but that's that's the story how Chris and I met. Um, yeah. 
and you know it's been a, a bromance ever since it then. has been yeah. and i mean i the touring with that band is insane i mean like it's everything you'd expect it to be like okay so i'll put it this way we spent a, like about two years on tour with no effects almost solid right we went almost everywhere at them and I mean, as a young man who's grown up on that band, that is an incredible feat. Like, we were all very, like, felt very lucky to be there and very proud of ourselves at the same time. We're like, holy shit, man. And it's like, it started to feel real, finally. It took a while, to be honest, because, like I said, I'd, you see these guys cruising around. Uh, you know, we've been in touch with Mike a lot because the records and shit. And you win. And, you know, it, it was still, it, it, was, it was still so. There was still this allure that was there among them all, you know what I mean? But they were all so cool, so generous always cool to have you around partying hanging out whatever it was you know what I mean and um, I got home from those like almost two years of touring with them at the end of a European tour and Fat sent everyone and every Fat Band backstage passport one like the DVD right and I watched that whole thing in a day after living it basically for two years and I was like yeah that's exactly what it's like and people have asked me that question so many times like that's gotta be like you know they kind of hammed it up right for that DVD I'm like no it's exactly what it's like We the only difference is that we met Kent right after he quit drinking cause he's like all drunk in the Russian train thing and like he quit drinking like any on the second one well, he's, he's in great shape now, man. Oh, absolutely, yeah. But he, he quit drinking, like, right around then. So we we never know him to be a drinker. You know what I mean? But, like, everything else was the same. <laughs> so I have a million stories. Like, the fucking Japan thing. Stu's right. Like, went to this S&M club with, like, no effects and bad religion and less than Jake and some 41. And I'm fucking, I think, 19 or 20. High on drugs, just <laughs> fucking looking around, <laughs> being weird, like talking to people I never should be talking to. <laughs> like, yeah, it's so weird, man. It was so fun. Though. I mean, like, cause I'm a kid and I, I didn't give a shit, and I still don't. I would do that again right now. <laughs> I don't care. We should do it tonight. Yeah, We're going to S&M. You know, it's just it. You have to go. You have to dive deep if you're doing that kind of thing with that kind of band. You know what I mean? Like, not if you, you know, are like a straight edge, sober, whatever. I just mean like. Man, if you grow up on that band and you have that kind of opportunity, go for it. Why not? Like, just fucking get into some shit. Like, just fucking get into trouble and, I don't know, just have fun because it's not going to fucking last forever. It won't. And eventually, you have to, like I said, like, eventually you kind of start dictating what you're going to do with your band rather than, you know, being taken under the wing. You one day might have a wing to take other people under, right? So if you get all this shit, these crazy experiences out of your system, you know, like, I don't know. You can, you can look at things like, logically and be like okay now we're gonna really fucking do this band like as older men 28 I don't know but you know what I mean like like years later you'd be like we could still do this and like maybe every once in a while maybe we could bring someone to a fucking weird club and throw a crazy party <laughs> I don't know <laughs>
mortgages and families So we're going on a sketchy tour No country is too obscure We're gonna drink and cough and fight and snort Wearing no effects, this is backstage passport Hello, hello, hello! This is Rocket from Russia, and that was No Facts, the song called Backstage Passport, the song from the soundtrack to their uh, TV show, which is all about touring. And if you're wondering what's happening here on CITR, um, this is my interview with Chris Craswell of the Flightliners and Stu of uh, the UFTK, Living the Lions, Comeback Kid, and Misery Signals, and we talked about touring. Uh, in the next part, um, I picked, uh, there was quite a few funny stories from the guys, but I think I, I, I picked two my favorite ones, in my opinion. Um, again, this is another um, official uh, contest warning. Uh, there will be quite a lot of, a uh, little bit of swear words, so if you're planning to be offended, or if you have people who are planning to be offended from that, uh, you shouldn't be listening to that. Otherwise, if you're not planning to be offended, it's great to funny stories. Okay, let's keep listening. Uh, one story from uh, Stu uh, about his time and uh, great experiences in Living the Lions, and then another one with uh, Chris, and um, let's do it. Uh, this is two funny stories from the guys about touring. Okay, I was racking my brain, like, last night and today, thinking, like, fuck, I need, like, some crazy stories. Um, the problem is, is there's so many stories. You're talking, I mean, not that we're, like, the fucking the most experienced road dogs of all time but i mean like collectively chris and i probably have close to 30 years of touring under our belts you know um i started touring when i was 19 and i'm 34 now and i still tour you know five to eight months of the year <laughs> big time yeah um but the one story i can think of that was super funny it was one of the most berserk things ever so when i was in living with lions um we were on tour with the Wonder Years. We played in, I want to say, like, Pensacola, Florida or something. And uh, Living With Lions, you know, at that time is the, the kind of band where it's like, if we can stay with somebody to save money, we're going to do it. So um, hanging out after the show, still don't really have a place to stay. And we meet these kids, um, this sort of group of kids uh, that are, like, drinking in the parking lot. And they're like, hey, like, you guys are great. Like, what are you doing? We're like, well, we actually need a place to stay. And they're like, okay, cool. Come stay with us. Like, sick. It's a good idea, you know? That's how it usually goes. So we end up driving, you know, the 40 minutes or whatever it takes to get to this place, and we're staying, um, and it's just, like, this group of kids, no adults, and, like, maybe, like, like age 19 to 22, and we're a little bit older than them, but whatever, like, they're like, yeah, let's have some drinks, let's hang out. We're like, cool, cool, cool. So pretty normal, just, like, watching TV, drinking, and then uh, Landon, who plays guitar for the Living the Lions, he's like, I'm going to go swimming. We're like, okay, go swimming. So he goes swimming. Maybe like an hour and a half passes, and then all of a sudden we're like, what the fuck? Where's Landon? Landon loves swimming. This is insane. Like <laughs> he he's, so he's been gone for now. so long. <laughs> so we like go outside, and he's not in the pool. And we're like, oh, fuck. And this is like an apartment complex with like where every building looks the same. So we're like, oh, fuck, this is crazy. So we're like, I think Chase and I, we're like, fuck it, we'll walk. We'll walk over to the van, see if he's near the van. We're like walking up, and from underneath the van, he crawls out, and he goes, hello? <laughs> hello? We're like, what the fuck? What are you doing? He's like, oh my god, I got lost. I couldn't find my way back. I was gonna go to sleep under the van. Oh, like freaking out. And we're like, oh, you'd think like, okay, that was funny enough for the night. Like, Landon almost slept under the van because he couldn't figure out what apartment he came from. Sure. But so we go back and we're 
keep drinking, fucking hang out, go to sleep. In the morning, we wake up, and it's like, boom, 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 on the door, and we're like, oh, fuck, what's going on? Like, I'm sleeping, like, six feet from the front door, like, on a sleeping bag on this, like, fucking linoleum floor, like, uh, bang, 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 what the fuck, what the fuck? Open the door, open the door. We're like, ah, what the fuck's going on? Like, you get woken up by, like, this bang, and some dude's like, open the door, open the door. Eventually, they fucking kick the door open, and it's, uh, like, bounty hunters. Um... And there's one of the people that's with us has like warrants out for their arrest and was like stupid enough to like tweet like, hey, I'm partying with Living With Lions at so-and-so's house. So the cops, I guess, were like staked out watching. Not the cops, the like bounty hunters were like staked out watching us, waiting for everything to quiet down. So we all go to sleep and then eventually they fucking kick in the door. They come in, they like handcuff the person, like drag them out. They're like, hey man, can I have a smoke? Like I'm getting arrested. We're like, no, like we want no part of this. This is insane. This is fucking crazy. And it was one of those things like where nobody processed it nobody digested it we like went back to sleep and then <laughs> and then we like drove and i remember we pulled over at this gas station and i bought an orange juice i remember that and we were just like sitting there in the van and we we're like that was fucking crazy like these dudes kick open the fucking door handguns yeah, like real. bulletproof yeah. vests fucking like <laughs> grab this person fucking handcuffs like drag them out and we're like oh back to sleep like it was so insane i remember one time we were in banff uh years ago on that on that toaster saint alvia tour in 2007 and this guy norm this little squirrely looking dude that we meet at the show really nice guy it seemed you know what i mean uh he brings us back to his house and it's us in saint alvia there's i mean and like you know like merch guy merch guy you know so this i think saint alvia was like six people and a dozen people let's say right staying at this house <laughs> this norm dude just gets so fucking trashed and like pretty like aggro like like really like argumentative and stuff and like ben rispin who's like a mountain of a man uh from san alvia love this dude he's like the fucking sweetest dude like big fucking teddy bear but like don't cross him because he'll crush you basically right him and norm are having this really heated argument about how metallica is not the best band in the world that's what norm was saying and ben was like what about the beatles what about the rolling stones what about this band and this band you know He's like, no, man, it's fucking Metallica, I'm telling you. That's just one example of, like, this shit that was just flying out of this guy's mouth. So we all go to bed, and in the morning, like, 8 in the morning, the fucking, you know, we hear keys. It was like the little Ace Ventura thing. He's like, puts the key in there, and he just shakes it a little bit. We heard, like, the struggle with the key. And we all kind of wake up as, like, this girl comes in, and she's like, what the fuck? Who the fuck are you? Norm! Norm! <laughs> we're like, oh my god, this isn't Norm's house! <laughs> She's like, Norm, you fucking did it again! Why do you always fucking do this every fucking game? And I'm thinking, like, how many bands playing that many? Like, how does this happen every weekend? Like, random fucking people from the bar, like, dude, let's go talk about Metallica, man, please. Yeah, it was so fucking classic. And then same thing, man, like, they kicked Norm out, and they're like, you guys can chill. It's fine. We just wanted fucking Norm out of here. So we're like, okay. We went back to bed, too. We were just like, maybe some of us didn't go back to bed, but we, they, they were like, nah, you guys are fine. You're already here, or whatever. Yeah. Imagine they just, yeah. You guys just stay another night. Yeah. <laughs>
It's funny the people you meet on the road, man. I mean, like, we, we've met so many gracious, generous, hospitable people. I mean, over the years, like, all over the place, they just put you up and they put you first. And it's, you know, they fucking... We stayed with our buddy Anthony in San Diego a couple years ago for, like, two days. And, like, he, like, called off going to work and he got fired because of it. And, like, oh, no. dude, we felt so bad, man. Like, he didn't have to call in sick or whatever he did, but he did because he wanted to hang out. And we're like, go to work. I mean, like, we'll just chill. I don't know. Like, don't worry about us, man. But you meet a lot of great people doing what we do. You know what I mean? Um, you meet some sketchy people, but I feel like the Flatliners have been lucky for the most part of, like, our, the, the number of great people to the number of sketch bags is very much in favor of the positive. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, yeah. We've been pretty lucky, I think. The number of lorms is low. Yeah. It's always awkward when, like, someone wants to put you up. And I mean, it doesn't happen as much anymore because I feel like normally wherever we go, we have like a friend now, you know, you know what I mean? Like you get to the point where you kind of know someone almost everywhere you go and you get to a certain age too and you're like, well, if we don't know anyone, maybe we'll just get like a shitty hotel or something, you know what I mean? But um, it's always, it was always awkward when we'd go to someone's house and like, yeah, I'll put you on, man, it's gonna be sick. Like we're gonna fucking party, man, and get some 40s of King Cobra and whatever. And we'd be like, sure, yeah. And then you get there and it just smells like dog B.O. Yeah. And no one wants to sleep in the place, so everyone ends up sleeping in the van right outside of their house. You know, the yeah, you know what? Yeah, yeah. Oh man, and that's and that's and that's the thing. You have to be the first one to call it because otherwise you look like you're just fucking. You're such an asshole if you also do it, right? So you have to be the first guy to call it. Like, I'm a, you know, yeah, you guys are good. You know, I can see you guys a little cramped in here or whatever. You know, I'm just gonna take. I'm gonna take a night. I'm gonna, I'll be the one to sleep in the van. Like you're doing someone a, like a favor. The amount of like blood-stained black mold mattress that have been put at my feet, I'm like, oh, fuck, man. It's totally insane. I remember, um, I remember our first East Coast Canadian tour. We stayed at this dude's house in uh, Charlottetown, PEI, and I slept on the kitchen floor. I didn't bring a sleeping bag on that tour or a pillow or anything. Uh, my, my, my pillow was a garbage bag full of trash, <laughs> and my fucking blankets were a couple newspapers, a couple California blankets. <laughs> yeah, man. Dude, Scott puked in the guy's sink uh, the next morning and we left immediately after that because he clogged the sink and we had to go.
You're listening to the radio station CITR. This is a weekly punk rock radio show called Rocket from Russia. And today we talk about touring with Chris of the Flatliners and Studio of U Decay. Uh, we just heard a couple of funny stories uh, from their uh, touring lives. Uh, in the end of the show, or like in the end of the interview, I decided to talk a little bit, or like actually the guys decided to talk a little bit about the other side of touring because yes, of course, there's a lot of funny stories, a lot of fo- interesting things happening, but at the same time, you know, the touring affects your home life, your family life, and this is what we talked about. How about we listen to the final part of my conversation with Stu and Chris, and um, here it is. You're listening to Rocket from Russia. This is the final part of my interview with Stu and Chris. It's so quickly can get to the point while you're on tour, especially in that halfway point, where you're like, I need a day, right? Like, I need a day just to fucking... Because a day off is typically you're stuck in the van driving 13 hours somewhere, and that sucks, you know? It's not fun, but, like, it's part of the thing, and you do, and it's fine. It's not the worst, obviously. I mean, we can complain about much realer things, but... I, yeah, it sucks not. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. No, but it's it, you need you need that break every once in a while. The thing that like on a serious note is that like people might not realize that a lot of people that know, have friends and bands uh, or are, are aware of you know whatever someone in some circle of like you know social circle they they are aware of this in a band like to a lot of people it's just like vacation and I know Stu and I are painting this picture that it is because it can be it easily can be but it's also this weird kind of like double work thing where like you're kind of not always on the clock but you're always there's always something to do there's a lot of hurry up and wait for sure without a doubt but there's always there's always like something very paramount that has to be done and it's it's hard work and it's not you don't make money you know and it's just weird and like the the longer you do it and you get in your late 20s 30s 40s even we both know people in bands that like still in their 40s and don't make much money yeah i mean let's like like with what chris is saying let's talk about this i like i said i'm 34 and chris is 29 28 so but as mentioned we've both been doing this for almost 15 years both of us you know and it's like even now, after 15 years of grind, 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 now we're like at the point where it's like, you can work a few shifts a week and like, but you still have to fucking work. Like, it's hard, man. Like, it's a, and I'm playing the world's smallest violin to anybody that's listening. They're like, they're like, motherfucker, I fucking work at McDonald's. But like, for sure, yeah. But there is something to be said though about, I mean, like, you know, for a long while, there was 
no one really wanted to talk much about like you know the state of mental health and everything but obviously now that's changed which is a good thing because there's a lot of people around the world suffering from that kind of thing and it's a very interesting topic when you talk about it with your friends or your whatever your fucking cohorts so to speak your colleagues in like the music game because it's a super strange way to live you basically lead two lives at once you have your home life and you have your tour life and you kind of wear both hats at once sometimes you know if you have a partner at home or just your family or whatever you know like when you call them from the road you update them on what's going on and you you know tell a couple stories and you catch up and stuff but you're very much the home guy in that scenario and then you get off the phone and then you get back to the show and you you're the tour guy and it really it's 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 easy for some people it's not easy for other people and it's this it's this thing where Especially as a lyricist, like I and I find solace. I I I, I find it very helpful to, to, to write about this kind of stuff because I'll talk about it to the end of the day. But it's helpful to write about it and like like you know hone your craft, kind of helping yourself and in turn hopefully helping other people through things, these struggles and difficulties. But at a certain point, you start to realize like. Is this a vicious cycle that just continues where you think, like, well, something bad has to happen so I can write a song or a record about it, you know? And it's a dangerous... It can... It can. I guess my point is it can It can easily become a dangerous way to live if you have these stories like Stu and I do where you're partying and you're puking and you're fucking getting drunk and, like, all this shit, whatever. It's fun, but we were, like... A lot of these stories come from a place where, like, Stu and I were, like, you know... Like younger, even if it was a year ago, <laughs> but like you're constantly learning from your mistakes. You know what I mean? So I, we're, I, we we shouldn't sit here and paint the picture that it's all a party and that's fucking totally cool and that's what it's all about. It can be if you want it to be, but it's so it can ex- exactly it can so easily become this self-destructive thing. And I think that it's important for anyone at home listening to this, listening to the story Stu and I have. Like, keep in mind that like him and I are great friends for years like, and have been for years. And this is some of the things we talk about but the other things we can talk about is the fact that like you have to make sure that you're happy doing whatever you're doing you know and if you feel trapped or you feel you feel like you're not 100% stoked on what you're doing the best way to deal with that probably isn't drinking until you puke ramen out of your nose <laughs> we're doing that because we're happy you know what I mean but I just I need to I don't know if that's a convoluted point to make but I need to make that point yeah no, that's absolutely true and I mean that's sort of the the basis of this conversation was supposed to be sort of fun happy-go-lucky tour stories but there is a lot of like there's a lot of stuff that comes along with being like away you know like um, for instance like Chris has a long-term partner I'm married you know and things like you know your wife, your home, your the health of everybody, all these things come into play. I mean, like, I I was just away, I just got back from tour two days ago, and while I was gone, in that time, you know, um, our apartment was sold, uh, our cat almost died, and my wife's father had a heart attack. And these are three things that I'm not home for, you know what I mean? Um, and that's, that is hard, it is hard. I mean, like, it, sure, people can be like, well, then why don't you just not be on tour? It's not that easy. Well, and it's also something that, like, you know what? Like, it might sound selfish, but it's, like, it's something that I've I've committed a long portion of my life to and something that, like, I love doing. And, like, I, I had this thought the other night. Like, like I said, we were just weird. So Comeback Kid was just in South America, and I had all these things on my mind, and, and we played this show in Sao Paulo, and I was like, that show was fucking amazing. And, like, just that night I was thinking about it. Um, because, sorry, I'm, like, kind of going on this weird tangent. So, um, 
with Misery Signals, uh, there was a friend of ours like filmed a tour we did a couple years ago, and I was watching the the, the final product, and uh, Ryan, the guitarist, he makes this comment where he says, you know, this is really fun, I love it, but in a lot of ways, and I've already played this show, and I'll play this show again. Right. Um, and I that kind of like hit home to me and I was thinking about all the things that were going on at home and blah 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 and, but I just fucking love doing this man I love it more than anything I love playing music I love traveling I love the friends I have like it's it's a, it's a really it's a, it's, it's, it's a more freeing thing than it bounds you that, that it binds you to anything you know what I mean the only thing it really binds you to is your friends <laughs> yeah which is great so yeah so I mean yeah it's, it's cool I mean what we do is fucking awesome it's fun and you know um, to some degree, we've been like lucky and 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 I think moderately successful um, doing what we're doing. So, but it's like I said, there's there's all it's all always like a double-edged sword. You know, the grass is always greener kind of scenario. Um, but I had this this moment where I was just like, fuck this, like this is what I really do love to do. No matter what, no matter the cost, like getting up on stage and playing those shows and and you know the excitement with people when you're playing and just like the actual physical act of playing the guitar and fucking just rocking man it's what like you grew it's up wanting to do yeah. and then you now you're doing it so it feels amazing yeah. what it is i mean yeah like you miss birthdays you miss funerals you miss weddings weddings you miss everything you miss everything but you cultivate this beautiful thing with your your friends and strangers Right? Like fans. Like, they don't have to be strangers, but at first they are. Right? Obviously. I mean, you've never met them. But, like yourself. You know, like, we didn't know each other back in 2007, and now we know each other, and that that's, like, a beautiful thing. And, I mean, there's this... There's this kind of double speak to it. Uh, there's this. There's an interesting line that you... Not that you cross, but you, you just find yourself in a world where, like... I, I guess I can kind of like associate what I said earlier about like how like music in general should be more inclusive than exclusive and it's the same thing with like a band or any kind of artistry and its fan base you know what I mean and uh, and it's it's a beautiful thing if you're going through something and you're able to write about it sing about it bring it to people like to their front fucking door and sing into their faces about it and they feel the same way you know and it, it in turn it helps like, me being able to do that for people helps me out, too. You know, like, I, I'm i a pretty happy person. I have great friends. I have a great family. But there's, I think, for every artist, there's a, there's a darkness in there, kind of. You know what I mean? Because you're constantly commenting on things uh, that you don't agree with, that frustrate you, that scare you, that you don't understand, that you want to understand. But sometimes you don't want to talk about it. You just want to write about it instead, you know? And it's it's a beautiful thing to be all the way across Canada with you two, and talking about this kind of thing. Um, and I just I don't know. I, I want people to realize that for as much as much like sorrow can be in your life and all this stuff. And I only bring this up because obviously we live in a world where, you know, with like especially with what happened the other day in Orlando, that awful shooting and stuff. We live in a pretty dangerous, scary world. If Donald Trump becomes president, we're all fucked. The fact that the biggest mass shooting in American history just happened, you know, and, it, and what it was about, you know, just like, it was such a fucking hate crime and shit. I figured that as human existence went on, that like, you know, that kind of like evolution would continue. And it seems to, in certain circles, obviously it does. But there's a lot of, there are a lot of people out there that are extremely misinformed and just there's a lot of hate out there. And I think that if a lot of people were to realize that all you have to do is ask for help, 
if you don't feel I don't know if there's some darkness to you or whatever or just talk about it you know what I mean um, I think the world will be a, a lot more of a better place you know so I'm happy that I have music because I get to say my piece <laughs> at least and if I can help people that's fantastic I at least help myself you know yeah. yeah, and you see the reaction you see on your place. Yeah, and I can't lie, it feels fucking great. Yeah. Like, it does. I mean, one thing, like, and I don't want this to sound like like I'm stroking my own bone or, like, egotistical, but it's like, it, there is something so fucking insane, like, um, to be, you know, somewhere in Europe or South America or in Chicago or whatever and have somebody come up and they know your name and they know all the records you've played on and they know all your songs and they even know like parts of your personal life because of social media and stuff like that yeah. and and to have people be like man like i i fucking love what you do and like you know this song helped me with that and you know this is an inspiration to me and blah blah, blah. and like to sit back and think about that and to actually really let that settle in and think like something that i did uh-huh. like can help somebody or uh, inspire somebody or stimulate somebody hopefully in a positive fashion is like so fucking crazy I mean like because you know back to what we were talking about with bands when we were kids No Effects Green Day all those sort of, sort of bands like those sort of bands inspired us to do what we're doing through what they were doing and it's, it's just like this weird like yeah. full circle kind of cool hippie yeah. thing but like it is I don't the, know it's, it's the best like you know punk is a cool ass thing man, yeah, <laughs> like, is, man. and it's so much about community and family and just like respecting one another and, ha- and supporting one another and that's that's why we're still doing it yeah. him and I, yeah, you know? I, yeah. I mean but I think a good way to wrap it up is that the, the things that Stu and I do they really do rely on folks like you and and, and, and and fandom and support and that kind of thing. And the fact that him and I have been friends for years because we play music, and that's how we know you as well. And everyone I've met who's, I mean, I, we see, me and the Flatliners see so many familiar faces at shows, and that is the fucking dream right there. You know what I mean? Like, when you, and like I said earlier, like when you go to a town, you have somewhere to stay because you have a friend there. And it's, um, it's, it's definitely a strange way to live, but it can be a really beautiful thing if you let it be and you can make sure that you're doing it right and you're not being a fucking dick and you're just always trying to be better at what you do and you're always trying to, I guess, just just lead a... Like, it sounds it sounds cheesy and maybe open-ended, but just lead a good life. I mean, like, being being a guy in a band that has a long-time partner and, and you know, really still, like, is, is, like, very much in the struggle... You know, of trying to make it, so to speak. And I know it's such a lame way to put it, but it's it's true. And still working and stuff. But it's you do it because there are people coming to your show. And you do it for those people who are singing those fucking lyrics to the song you almost cut from your fucking record <laughs> back in your face. You know, and it's 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 just it's the best feeling in the world. And it's just it's an invaluable thing, right? And it's and it's completely intangible, but it still makes you feel so fucking good. And it's great. That was Rocket from Russia, and that was my interview with Stuart, Chris, and we talked about touring, and we, as you heard, we I tried to bring it, just uh, talk a little bit about how touring works, uh, to get a few funny stories out of the guys, and also bring it back to the to the real life, and to show the other side of touring, the not glamorous, the not party side of touring. I hope it was interesting for you. Um, for me, it was definitely interesting, and um, like I said, I wasn't able to fit in the whole hour-long conversation in one hour of radio, so I will post on the, my blog rocketfromrussia.tumblr.com uh, the full version of our conversation. Um, uh, obviously a little bit edited because we got interrupted a few times, but uh, it, it, it will 
capture the, 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 the major part of our conversation. And hopefully, you, if you're interested, check it out. Uh, this is it. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, if you like we can, what you heard, you can check out the podcast CITR.ca, Rocket from Russia on Facebook, on iTunes, and as I said on my blog, rocketfromdarsha.tumblr.com. Um, to wrap up uh, the show, I would like to play a song by a local band called The Core. Uh, they are playing tonight at the uh, place called Lana Luz. Uh, they are playing with a band called The Nailheads from Montreal, The Core, and The Deadheads, uh, which features uh, Rich from The Great Sons. Should be a great night uh, tonight at the Lana Luz. Uh, hope to see you there, and thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed uh, this uh, interview and this episode of Rocket from Russia. Thank you so much for listening. This is The Core Black Autumn. Have a great weekend, a uh, great long weekend, and I'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Skies. Fever underwater, let it pour.